Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Way. Back again with you guys for another episode of our Analyzing Arsenal series. I'm joined by the smuggest man on the planet, Josh Williams. How you doing, mate? Are you well? I'm doing good, mate. I was more smug last week. I think I think it's died down a little bit now. So uh, you're getting that the friendly side of me, I think, this week. Just a glimpse behind the curtain, listeners. The first thing Josh said was, did you enjoy the game for the other week? <laughs> Which, so that tells you all you need to know about it, if you like. But uh, No, I enjoyed, I said to you, I enjoyed breaking, having to break it down with David, the Evertonian, rather than, <laughs> rather than the Liverpool fan, which was much appreciated. Um, but no, of course, Josh, I think it was just briefly on that, because I think some of the listeners from your perspective um, will be a little intrigued if you could be a little bit humble about it, I suppose. But, but I think you were surprised at the scoreline, because you predicted, 3-1 you thought Liverpool would win it but I don't think you thought it was going to be as dominant especially in the second half as it was No I actually thought the first half Arsenal fared pretty well I thought and um, just generally without the ball there wasn't so much of a high press but I think it was difficult for Liverpool to progress through the lines um, Arsenal generally blocked off passing lanes quite well I thought and Liverpool looked a bit frustrated to me, looked a bit slow um, and a lot of that stemmed from Arsenal's defensive game, so I think there was positives in that sense. But then in the second half, you know, Anfield was up. Liverpool mm. got get the lead. Liverpool are really, really difficult to play when you've got to get a goal back because they can do you so well on the break. Um, and, you know, one of the questions I asked you before the game was whether Arsenal will, will persist when building from the back from Ramsdale and things. That was something that they actually they, they did persist at Anfield. And, mm. Suffered a little bit, particularly in the second half. I think Tavares gave the ball away to Joseph with a second goal. Yeah. And, yeah, I think Anfield can do that to you. You can just spiral a little bit. Um, and you can, you've can you conceded four out of nowhere, really. But <laughs> first half, I think things things were a bit promising. But second half, yeah, Arsenal needs to work on that one. Yeah, they do. I think they did, to be fair, against Newcastle. Like One of the things about Arsenal in the past is after a bit of a humbling performance and a big loss they've not really been able to react um but this season's been a bit different of course we lost heavily to Manchester City we came back after that game and and, and beat Norwich we had a very difficult display against Crystal Palace where we scored that late equaliser and then we came back to beat Aston Villa in the next game and of course after losing to Liverpool we've put in a pretty dominant display against Newcastle granted I mean Aston Villa and Newcastle and Norwich aren't the best sides in the league right now but their games in which Arsenal have dropped points, especially Aston Villa last season, they did the double over Arsenal. So do you think that that is an encouraging sign for Arsenal as they look to try and get back into Europe this season? Yeah, I mean, this was this was going to be a real opportunity anyway this season just because of the lack of European football. So Arsenal have pretty much got one game a week all season. And, you know, he's, he's brought the average age of the team down, brought in a few new players and things. And specifically the way in which Arsenal played against Newcastle in particular, I was impressed with, you know, they dominated the ball throughout the game. But crucially, in addition to dominating the ball, they posted 24 shots compared to eight. Now, in, in, in any game, really, that's that's what Arsenal should be looking to do to against, particularly the bottom 10 sides. Um, but in any game that you're, you're seeing 65% of the ball and you're shooting three times as much as, you're, as the opposing team, you know, you you putting the result beyond reasonable doubt there. That's that's more than a coin flip in terms of whether you should win the game. Arsenal are putting probability on their side by posting those numbers. So it's what Arsenal needs to keep doing. And uh, if they're posting similar numbers every week, not be winning most games. Let's have a look at some of the uh, analytics then, and specifically, I mean, Lukonga and Tavares, I thought were two of our worst players at Anfield. Um, I think Lukonga probably had his worst performance of the season. Tavares, of course, 
the mistake he made led to that second goal. I say one of the worst before. I don't think it was awful, but I just think that mistake probably overshadowed a lot of what he did in the game. And actually, they both responded really, really well against Newcastle. Again, the combinations on Arsenal's left flank, 42 times Lukonga playing through to Tavares, playing ahead of him, um, and Tavares to Smith-Rowe combining 33 times. That left flank is obviously being helped a lot. I mean, were you surprised that after the mistake from Tavares that Arteta continued with him and didn't bring Tierney back in for the game? No, I do. I do think he's got bags of potential. I did say this a few weeks back, and he offers really interesting, really useful perks because he's um, he's so mobile, so athletic that he can very, very easily support attacks while also having enough mobility to get back and defend. Whereas some players, you know, that won't be the case if they if if they get forward, they won't be able to get back. If they stay back, they won't be able to get forward. Type thing. Um, Tavares is very much a two way player. And, as I said, he can support attacks very, very quickly, generate width for Arsenal and things like that, overlaps, underlaps. So I think he's a very, very useful player. I do think Tierney has generally probably got a bit more quality about him, but Tierney's just a bit more unreliable and, you know, for, in terms of availability. And I think mm. from my perspective, it, you know, I'm a Liverpool fan, obviously. It, it reminds me a little bit of a few years back when Klopp first took charge. Daniel Sturridge was the, the main man at Liverpool. And Roberto Firmino was kind of like an, a number 10 who was in and out type thing. Um, but because Sturridge was just so unreliable and you just couldn't really build around him, you couldn't really build a future with him. Firmino just established himself as, as Liverpool's leader of the line and he ended up getting a number nine shirt and things. And despite seeing his quality, I, I do fear for him long term considering Tavares is so athletic, so fit and available and things. And seeing he's mm. just in and out all the time. So this could be something that we see more and more of moving forward. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I wrote a piece the other day about how Tierney is really the only last surviving member of the nine or ten signings that Unai Emery brought in. Um, the rest have all been moved out or are not yet to to play in the side, like William Saliba, of course. But with Tavares coming in and then you've seen Ramsdale, Lukonga and White and Erdogan and Tommy Asu and they've all come into the team, Partey and Gabriel, both signed under Arteta as well. He is looking to build this side very much in his image. And Tini is, despite being handed a new contract, of course, this summer, uh, and Arteta was a big part behind that, you know, you, there is an element where I think that you're, maybe there's a right to be a little concerned maybe his, for his future under under the manager. Um, interestingly, though, despite talking there about Arsenal's left-hand side, it was the right-hand side that was was the most potent in frequency of attacks. Um, interestingly, centrally, which is where an area of Arsenal's game they struggled to be quite creative, had the highest um, XG of, of those chance creations at 1.37, whereas on the right-hand side and the left-hand side was equal at 0.46. But the frequency of attacks on the right-hand side is interesting because Tomiyasu is a player that isn't known for getting forwards anywhere near as much as, say, Tavares is. But he linked up with Saka really well, and then he linked up excellently with Martinelli when he came on and obviously provided that brilliant assist for the goal. So do you think that maybe this is something that the, the club are looking to try and develop Tommy Asu to do more, to be a little bit more exploratory and, and get further forward against sides like Newcastle where we can be more expressive? Yeah, I think that's a good point, particularly against sides like Newcastle, because you are, to an extent, going to be facing the block for 90 minutes. Um, and the more players you can commit forward, the more likely you are to find gaps and to generate openings and, and space that you can use and things like that. But just generally, you know, I, I'm still trying to, get to grips with what maybe what Tommy Tommy Yasu is as a player and I do think generally he suits kind of the you know the inverse and fullback role type more. Um 
where he's, a, as you said earlier, offering balance and things like that and providing stability for when players want to go forward. But obviously in this game, and I'm sure moving forward, considering his age, maybe Arsenal can can improve his attacking game a little bit more so that if, if Arteta needs to change things up, just a quick flick of a switch and, and somebody else who can become another another body in the final third, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, lastly, kind of from an, an analytical standpoint, Erdegaard's passing. It's look, I, I've, I've been quite defensive of Erdegaard in the recent days since the game. A lot of people, a lot of Arsenal fans have taken the opportunity to criticise him and effectively say, in some cases, he's either not good enough or he shouldn't be starting for Arsenal. And actually, we should have moved, either moved for someone else or we shouldn't even brought him in at all, which I think for me, has crossed a bit of a line, especially based on the fact that this is his first start in in a fair few games. And I thought he was fine in, in the match. I didn't think he was particularly bad uh, by any stand. I think he was outshone by a fair few other players in the pitch, like Saka um, and Tommy Asim and Tavares and Lukonga in particular. But for a number 10, he didn't play any passes into the box during the game. He played a couple of passes inside the box when he was there, but nothing that was like incisive for the players running ahead of him. Do you think that, is mainly on him, or do you think there's an argument to be made that the movement around him hasn't been good enough and Arsenal's attack in general has been a bit lacking in creativity? Yeah, I do think in in specific relation to that, I do think Odegaard is, is one of those players, sadly, who's a, almost a product of the system. And I think providing he's got runners around him, players around him to, to get the best from his quality, from his skill set, I think he'll he's more likely to shine, but when that's not the case, I think he he does put performances well, not performances, but in terms of passing networks like that a little bit. Like if you think of a player who's in in some ways similar but benefiting a lot since he's came to England as being Bruno Fernandez, and if you think of maybe what Bruno Fernandez doesn't have, he's not quick at all, but he has got a pass in him. And if you look at who's who he's surrounded by, he's surrounded by runners all the time. You know, Rashford, um, Martial, Greenwood, uh, Luke Shaw, just players who are always running beyond them. Cavani, you know, known for his movements. So it's easy for bringing those to thrive. Um, and if you look at, say, for example, Emi Buendia, hasn't had the best start at Aston Villa. And the player, this player who's played ahead of him more often than not has been Danny Ings, who, again, is not the quickest. But when he was at Norwich, Timu Puki, he, he's known for those runs in behind. When they generally performed better, so mm. I think if it, but having said that, I do think at Arsenal, Arteta does have those players that should be running beyond Odegaard, the likes of Savarez, Saka, Smith Rowe, uh, Pepe when he plays, mm. Abamyang's quick. So I'm not really sure specifically what's happening there. I think it, you maybe have to look a little bit deeper, but Odegaard is one of those players for me who will be reliant on on his surroundings in order to thrive, whereas certain other players. Uh, maybe a, a Saka potentially mm. can just do more off his own back, I think, without relying on, on his teammates as much. Yeah, I think I think there you've got a player like Saka you would describe more as a bit of a protagonist and you've got a player like Erdogan who's more of a he's more of an enhancer in a way that he he makes those around him better by releasing them. But if those players around him aren't necessarily making the moves and moving in the right spaces, he's, he's, he's going to be much, much less effective. And I think that, I mean, the argument in the other direction is to say, well, then should Arsenal have gone out and signed someone in that position behind the striker that was going to be more influential individually? And maybe that's why I say Lacazette was drafted into that position behind the striker because 
Erdogan wasn't getting the help that he needed around him. Yeah, I mean, my my big thing with Odegaard is I don't I don't think I think he's a little bit. I think the best way the word that comes to mind is I think he's a bit beige. <laughs> and what I mean oh, by that's that, harsh. <laughs> what, what I mean by that is yeah. I think he's he's got he got obvious qualities, his technical mm. abilities, very very good and things like that. He's clearly got great vision and stuff like that. But mm. I just mean he is inclined. He's not inclined to to massively impact winning. You know, to, to have he's not a match winner, is what you're saying. No, he's not going to have that much of an influence mm. on your actual goal difference. Your ability at one end of the pitch to stop conceding, and your ability at the other end of the pitch to score goals. Mm. I think he's he's kind of in between that. And one of the issues with that is he doesn't actually play as though he's in between that as a central midfielder. He plays closer to the attack as a number ten, but he's kind of got no real. Output attached to his game. Like, if you look at his numbers mm. throughout the course of his career, his best scoring season came at Vitesse when he scored eight. Um, and one of those was a penalty. Mm. Um, in that season, he did post 10 assists. But apart from that, which again is the Dutch headed VC, um, apart from that, he's, never, he's not really had any season throughout his career so far. I mean, he's only 22, but he's not had any season so far that suggests. That he's going to be what I sometimes label as a an output merchant. You know, an output right. merchant is someone like a Salah, someone like a, Fan- a Bruno Fernandez, mm. players who can play bad, but you just no matter what seem to register a goal or an assist. Mm. I don't think Odegaard's that. Yeah, I, I find it hard to disagree with your assessment. I think that. The thing about Odegaard is he's he is still 22, and people forget how young he is. So I mean, he's a year older than Smith Rowe, for instance, who people still consider an Arsenal youngster in some senses. So, and he's been around for a long, long time. He's he's been on loan in in Holland with Vitesse, of course. He's played. I think he went on loan. Uh, was it Herenveen uh, that he was with, or uh, yeah. he was with? Um, and then, of course, Real Sociedad in in Spain, where he he did really well. Uh, at Real Sociedad, and they were desperate to get him back before Arsenal nicked him away during the winter window. Um, I just think that, you know, I, I think that he is, he'll be limited in, in what he can achieve. I'm not saying that he's got the ability to ever develop into a Bruno Fernandes. I just think that there is, there is more to come from him, but it is going to be reliant on having those around him that will be a little bit more expressive and make some more of those runs that, that runs that he needs. Um, but it may not work. It may not happen. And in which case, Arsenal will need to find someone that it can be that Bruno Fernandes-esque style player that can play in behind and can create goals from nothing and can score themselves. So we'll have to see. Another player that is struggling, though, is Aubameyang himself. You brought him up a little bit earlier on, just kind of round off the show on the last point. How worrying is his form? That was a pretty bad miss that we all saw. Uh, And, of course, he missed the penalty against uh, Watford and nicked, ironically, Erdogan's clear goal against Watford as well um, and was offside in that moment. Was Was it Nani that stole... Ronaldo's goal at one point, or was it the other way around? I think it was. I remember a famous thing with Nani and Ronaldo nicking each other's goals at one point. But Abamyang's form is a little bit concerning. Yeah, and I suppose this is this is a problem sometimes when you know he's not playing too much of a part in in Arsenal's build-up play. I think the only player he seems to have more touches done lately is is Ramsdale, and that's not always the case. Um, so I think sometimes when a player is not involved to that extent. You do hope that when they are involved, when they are called upon for those big moments, that they can stay 
they can stay hot almost and they can they can be as clinical as they would be if they were involved all the time. Um but it seems to be when it comes to Aubameyang lately, when he is called upon to to basically essentially do his job, you know, okay, finish the move now. We've constructed the move for you, you you finish it. He's um he's not really coming up at the minute. Obviously you mentioned the penalty there, you mentioned the miss against Newcastle. It's just I suppose one of those periods for him. Um I'm not really sure that the reasoning behind it. I'm not sure really, really sure what Arteta can do to solve it, really. Um, it's just one of them periods that... I mean, it's difficult when it comes to this because sometimes you have to just admit that strikers can go through these periods and it just happens. But other times, the underlying reasons behind it is the coach doing enough to get the best from and things like that. But I am a little bit torn there as to what, what, what the reasoning is. But what about yourself? It's it's I I mean I think confidence is a huge thing with Aubameyang always I think if he hasn't scored for a few games it really does start to get to him but I, I argued the other week that you could put Lewandowski in this Arsenal team at times and he'd struggle to score because we're just not creating the chances um, and I think that like there's a big obsession around that Lacazette's going to be leaving and Ketia's going to be going they're both out of contract at the end of the season Aubameyang's got a year left we are going to be looking for a new striker in the next six to eight months. And I'm just not sure whether that will solve our problems in that department. Because as I say, I think that the main issue with Arsenal right now is a uh, increasing the frequency of high quality chances for those forwards. And we just don't seem to, to do that. We had 24 shots against uh, Newcastle, but there weren't many of those that you would say were big scoring opportunities. There were 30 uh, shots against Norwich. And again, there wasn't loads that were big scoring opportunities. So it's that level of quality of chance creation that I think is the main issue. And that comes down to coaching. That comes down to the direction from the manager and the system that he wants to play. Um, I, I suppose the last question on Aubameyang for you I have is that, and on the striking department in particular, is that do you think that this can be solved by the acquisition of a striker that would drop in, link up play, play more to what you think that Arteta wants from a striker, or do you think there is weight in the argument that the chance, quality, frequency, whatever, is is kind of the main situation that's wrong? In terms of the signature, do you mean to play alongside Aubameyang? Or no, in place of him, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to know exactly what Arteta wants because... It, he, he's not guaranteed. I know, I know he's very possession orientated and he wants to dominate the ball and things like that. But he's not, he's not guaranteed to want a striker who who will come come deep and link with the play and things like that. You know, mm. Robert Lewandowski doesn't really do that. Sergio Aguero was not doing that. Uh, certainly mm. in the early years under under Pep, Pep had to kind of get that out of him. Um, but it's it's not the mass it's it's more a case of they have to put the ball on the back of the net basically. Um, yeah. But I'm I'm not really sure. What was what was the second question? Just kind of do you think that Oh yeah 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 the, the chance um, creation quality side of things, yeah. Yeah, I mean I've just I've just checked the numbers on that while you were speaking. Um so in terms of shots per ninety, Arsenal are not that bad. These they shoot the sixth most in the Premier League. Mm. But then obviously if you want to get a gauge on quality of those shots, then we'll have a look at expected goals. Uh, this is not excluding, this is not including penalties. So if you look at expected goals, Arsenal are below mid-table. Yeah. Uh, which does suggest that, okay, we're shooting a lot, 
but the quality of the shots are not very good. Mm. So again, you can go a little bit deeper and you can, you can look at the, the expected goals per shot. So top of the league for expected goals per shot is Liverpool. Wait for the smile. There it is. <laughs> followed by Manchester City, followed by Leicester. So whenever those teams generate a shot, it's got the, the shot has a roughly 14, 13% chance of going in based mm. on the location of it and things. Yeah, like I was going to say that it's the, the when you say the, the quality of the shot, you're talking about the likelihood of where that shot's being taken from being yeah. high. Yeah. Yeah. So everything before the actual shot is, t- is not to do with the, the connection of the shot, not to do with yeah, the power yeah. of the shot or whatever, just to do with aspects such as like the location and things. Arsenal, for example, are joint bottom with five other teams. Um, and their average shot has about eight percent chance of of finding the nets based on historical data. So that five percent um, difference, like between Liverpool, you said thirteen percent, didn't you, for Liverpool, and then Liverpool are fourteen actually. Yeah, sorry, fourteen. I'm oh, sorry. Six uh, percent difference between Liverpool and, and Arsenal. That and that makes like because it sounds small, doesn't it? Six percent, but it makes such a huge difference. Yeah, it it does sound small, and I, I always do throw that caveat in there. But then mm. once you factor in that, this is only an average. So Liverpool, some of Liverpool's shots will be above fourteen percent mm. chance, and you have to factor in that. In addition to Liverpool having these fourteen percent chances, Liverpool are averaging about twenty of them yeah, per match. Again. Yeah. So Arsenal are averaging eight percent chances, yeah. and about fourteen of them. Pay much, so yeah. I I definitely think there's an argument when it comes to those the quality aspect that you've just mentioned earlier. I do think Aubameyang does have that argument on his side. Yeah, um, it's look, it, it's an area that that needs to be developed. Um, a lot of people that are quite big at you know heavy criti- critics of Arteta would say that we're struggling to progress as a club and it's actually we're overperforming right now in regards to where we are in the league table. And I think that those statistics and where we rank, where you've been saying there about kind of the shot quality and, and where we rank there and shot frequency does show that we are overperforming. Um, and maybe the results... It, I don't want to say that it's, it's we're fortunate to be where we are because I think the defensive side of our game certainly lends to us having improved and we're a very difficult side bar Anfield and the Etihad and, and against Chelsea of course were a difficult side to beat for a lot of the sides in the league um, because we have improved defensively so the last question I suppose is and I know that I'm not expecting to be a genius and answer this question but how does Arsenal solve that problem how do you increase that that those statistics to, to rank us up the table I think what I, what I will see first is that I don't think Arsenal overperformed by too much mm. according to Understat, which is a, a website that I use sometimes, um, Arsenal are expected to have, based on their performances so far, only performances, so the shots that they've faced and the shots that they've conceded, it, and the shots that they've generated, sorry. Um, Arsenal probably should have about 18, 19 points at the minute. They actually have 23, so they're overperforming by about four or five points there. Um in attack, they should have about three goals more than they've actually got. So they're underperforming when it comes to putting the ball in the net and converting chances into goals. Mm. But they're overperforming in defence. Apparently, they should have conceded about about five goals more than they actually have. Yeah. So I, I do think 
there's a bit of overperformance there when it comes to Arsenal, but I don't think it's a case of, you know, some soon the chickens will come home to roost and they'll fall off a cliff. I don't think it'll be as bad as that. <laughs> that um, is an image. Wow. Well, okay. Yeah, go on. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think just generally all Arsenal needs to do is just those numbers that I referenced earlier when it comes to the, the performance numbers against Newcastle. Mm. Just keep posting them every week in your favour. And it, it's, it sounds very simple. Mm. But if, if every week you're taking around double or three times the number of shots as your opponents, and in addition to that, those shots are just closer to goal and things like that, you're just less reliant on the... Sorry, you're less open to the variance and the randomness of football and how it can sting you. Mm. Um, that's one of the reasons Guardiola wins wherever he goes because everywhere he goes, or well, obviously he's got great players, yeah. but he completely removes the elements of chance, the, the elements of, of randomness by seeing all of the ball, having all of the shots. It's, it's almost boring when you watch Manchester City because just, <laughs> just, yeah. the elements of chance yeah. is just it's not it's not there's nothing there you know the way sometimes a player can like I watched Chelsea over the weekend against Manchester United when Jorginho slipped mm. and Jed Sancho goes through and scores it just feels like there's not that's not going to happen against Manchester City so when it comes to Arsenal they just need to put the performances beyond a reasonable doubt in, in, in that department in those mm. departments um, and if they do they will just find that over time they start to win more than they lose. Um, and I do think it's gradually happened. I do think Arsenal on the right track. From an outside perspective, hmm. I am pretty comfortable with where Arsenal are at the minute. And I think that they are one of the clubs I would recognise as, as moving in the right direction. Positive stuff. Nice way to end the show, Josh. Thanks so much for your time. As always, mate, tell people where they can find you. Yeah, on Twitter, at Distance Covered is probably the best place to get me. Um, so yeah, do give us a follow. Absolutely. Uh, find plenty more analytical goodness uh, and you can find ourselves at the Arsenal AM5. Just hit 5,000 subscribers. So thank you so much for your continued support. I know this has been one of the popular shows on the channel that you've enjoyed. So do leave a like and a comment and let us know what you think about what we've been discussing today as well. We'll be back tomorrow uh, talking, of course, more ahead of the Manchester United game and getting some thoughts from our rival team at the Fan Brands Group from the Manchester United side of things too. So make sure you tune in for that and you'll have Mikel Arteta's press conference as well to watch ahead of the game. See you soon, and as always, keep following us down the Arsenal way. Oh!